it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Well, hello everyone and welcome back for yet again more agriculture conversations here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast brought to you by the Western Ag Network. And we do want to thank the sponsors of today's broadcast, that being Gordon and Jared Clark with Sylvia's Insurance, reminding you to get that uh, pasture range and forage policy in before December 1st. Visit more at rainins.com. Well, friends, uh, joining us here today from Winnemucca, Nevada, is Oregon's Trent Stewart. And uh, Trent, you're down in Winnemucca for the Video Royale for Superior Livestock's big auction here this week. How many head of cattle are, have been offered so far? Well, so far, I'm not sure on the exact head count, but uh, we had 201,000 cattle that are being offered throughout five days. So as uh, we, we look at this sale, it has been a very strong market uh, over the past uh, few weeks uh, since we really kicked things off with the Corn Belt Classic for Superior. And the steer price is uh, very, very uh, high, we can say. Uh, the founder of Western Ag Network, Evan Slack, always said higher, higher when these prices uh, were impressive. And we're seeing, you know, five and a half to six weight steers wow 202 to 238 at this sale alone from region two uh what's it been like at just selling these cattle and, and uh seeing the consigners and the representatives there at the hotel in winnemucca and just the enthusiasm around the steer market oh they're very enth enthusiastic it's been uh you know a really upbeat crowd they're very very happy uh, with what they're being offered the expenses are so high that hopefully this will help pay for some diesel and some and some hay uh, you know in the long run but it is long overdue for a lot of these producers and i think our buyers are trying very very hard uh, to procure cattle uh, given the, the prices that exist right now uh, they're giving it all and betting on the come uh, I guess in short, I would say that the, the market is definitely chasing supply. Uh, the underlying tone is that we are going to be very short supplied in the future uh, due to drought and market conditions over the last seven to eight years. Uh, you know, we're down 15% on our cow herd and it's very apparent today. That, that that has happened because we're going to be shorter supplied going forward. Now, obviously, we have seen quite a spread between steer calves and heifer calves. What is that spread looking like at this week as we continue to move throughout the summer here in 2022, Trent? For the most part, it's around 20, 20 cents or 20, $20 a hundred. Uh, in some cases on the lighter cattle, we've seen a larger spread on the little three and four weight calves. Uh, the heifers may be 40 or 50 behind and that's pretty typical uh, in all markets to have that spread on a, on a real light one and it the dry conditions in this region uh, where we're in nevada and down around ely in that country they are bone dry and california hasn't had a break for for rain for many years now several years and it's it's taken its toll uh, so you know, they're going to try to procure some of the lights to your calves that they know and have reputation. And there's a lot of outcome and the cattle have some genetics to them. They're just coming in light, either a little young or they're greener just because of feed conditions. But, you know, the heifers, the light heifers are a little bit further behind. The fear weight cattle are, are a tighter spread. In most cases, the five and six weight heifers are 20 behind a steer 
Uh, and then, of course, when we get up in those heavier weights, we're maybe a dime and in some cases just five or six behind. Now, that drought having an impact, especially on delivery dates, uh, what, what has been a large concentration, say, let's these Region 2 cattle? Uh, what have the trends been price-wise uh, for some of those earlier delivery uh, steer calves and heifers versus some of those later fall? What, what are we seeing there? Well, in the feeder weight classes, if we get into September and October, they're a whole lot more desirable. Um, you know, and the market could be five to 10 higher than the immediate delivery cattle that come in August. I think it's just because they've met their needs uh, and the bunk space just isn't available. Plus, I think, you know, what we do in video marketing uh, it is so tight or correlated to the futures market uh, that if you look at the deferred board and the futures market, uh, they're quite a little bit, you know, more lofty than maybe the August contract. And and the cattle that we're selling uh, reflect that. We get into, you know, on, the, on these yearlings past September and October and November, uh, they're higher. And typically, you know, those September yearlings were more popular because they harvested in April. And now we're looking at placing a lot of summertime fat cattle. But because of the board, uh, those cattle are bringing more right now uh, at Superior Livestock. On the grass cattle, of course, the later we go, the more opportunity for those wheat pasture cattle and the grass cattle that come in November, December, January that have a harder wean. Uh, they're far more popular than in maybe the early August and September light cattle. Well, again, uh, a very busy week. Prices are great for those uh, steer calves and heifers. I mean, compared to the last few years, just I'll just spout off a few of those uh, trends, Trent. Uh, the 6 to 640 weight steers in Region 2, 193 to 232 on the upper end, 6.5 to 685s, 189 to 206. We'll have more of those prices available at westernagnetwork.com or superiorlivestock.com. But just a reminder, uh, a big week uh, coming up at the end of the month there in Sheridan, Wyoming for the Bighorn classic and trent i was uh, talking to my buddy uh, clint berry uh, last week we were all in reno for the cattle industry summer business meeting and and he's anticipating that this sale uh is going to not only have more cattle but could, could be one of the higher sales of the year again that's an optimistic representative for superior livestock but uh, i'm hopeful too uh well, what's in store uh for everyone that will make their way to to the northern part of wyoming here in just a few weeks Oh, it's a great, great sale. It's one of my most favorite sales of the year. Beautiful country, great people, great consigners, uh, really stand up set of cattle are always offered there uh, with a lot of programming. Going back uh, to the market itself, you'll see a great big spread between the cattle that have the genetic profile, have been working at their genetics uh, and buying them at reputation uh, seed stock, you know, outfits, but also putting them together in programs, value-added programs like NHTC and your your natural, your gap four, all those things have been making a huge difference uh, in the market. And that sale always, uh, not only regionally is it good, the cattle, as I had said, the, cattle, the quality cattle is good, but the, where they come from, the cattle are very, very durable. And a lot of the flesh condition on the cattle is favorable for a buyer. So they are met with a lot of open arms at that sale each and every year huge battery of buyers so it's a very fun sale to attend encourage everybody that's uh, near or far to make their way to sheridan that week uh, it's one of our oldest and uh, most reputable sales and successful sales
that it is and again the the consignment deadline if you have yet to get your cattle consigned uh, to that bighorn classic sale that is coming up the 22nd through the 26th of august you have until this friday august 5th to uh, get those consignments and you can visit spearlivestock online or contact your rep uh, to get those consigned uh trent i know it's a busy day and you probably got to head back to the block here uh pretty soon and you probably want to quit talking to this broke rancher that talks for a living uh any uh, any last thoughts on this market and how things are going in Winnemucca here today? Well, as Evan Slack said, higher, higher, higher. Keep building really good cattle, and we'll try to capture as much of the market as we can for you in terms of the, you know, all you producers out there. And we certainly appreciate all those that are taking a chance and procuring those cattle and, and believing in the industry and, and keep creating uh, the best product, best protein in the world. And that's beef. Thank you for all that you do and, and working with Superior Livestock. Well, again, Trent Stewart from Oregon joining us here today. He's been on the block there in Winnemucca at the Video Royale sale for Superior Livestock auction. Over 200,000 had offered there this week. As a reminder, August 5th, this Friday, 2022 is the consignment deadline for the Bighorn Classic. And talking about record beef demand, we'll be back with the U.S. Meat Export Federation's Dan Halstrom. We'll talk about those record beef export set here this summer. Uh, but again, thank you to Trent Stewart for joining us. Lane, thank you for having me. Take care. Appreciate that. Friends, don't go too far. We'll see how those U.S. beef exports are shaping up with the U.S. Meat Export Federation right after this. Jared and Gordon Clark with Sylvius Insurance Group are on a mission to help producers manage risk, whether that is a lack of rainfall or volatile prices. We're here to open up the toolbox and find a tool that helps you focus on your risk. We can then visualize how that solution can be integrated with your operation. To learn more, visit rainins.com. Sylvius Insurance, enriching the lives of farmers and ranchers by managing risk. And welcome back to more agriculture conversations on the Lancast Ag Podcast and the Western Ag Network. And beef exports continue to hit record levels here in 2022, but there's still a lot of concerns out there in the countryside as uh, we continue to watch uh, impacts of inflation and world uh, geopolitical issues. But hey, we will take these higher export uh, figures and values uh, as they come. And, and speaking of beef exports, uh, joining us today is CEO and President and CEO, excuse me, of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan Halstrom joins us. And and Dan, we're here at the Cattle Industry Summer Business Meeting. Uh, how, how are things going for you and your team this uh, summer as we uh, gather here in Reno, Nevada? Well, I think uh, in a world of uh, increasing headwinds, uh, uh, still we have a, a good story going on. Um, you know, the exports continue to roll um, in a positive way. Uh, so the momentum created late last year and early in 2022 continues to be the case today with the May, you know, May stats just being released a, a few days ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think part of the context is that um, with some of the challenges uh, that we've had, and keep in mind, we, we've still got a COVID challenge in lots of, a large part of Asia with uh, China still shut down due to COVID uh, at food service. And Japan and Korea reopening, but still pretty constrained. It's by no means back to normal. So we, we, and if I look at it with a positive lens, uh, that tells me that we've got an opportunity to food service in Asia for the last half of this year. So despite all the headwinds, there could even be some tailwinds later this year. Yeah. 
And uh, as we look at those opportunities and challenges as a whole, what, what does it mean to you to come to events like this and be face-to-face with the producers that uh, make an investment in beef promotion and the work that your team does? What, what, what do you hear from uh, cattlemen and women at meetings like this? What is the feedback maybe you receive or, or maybe some of the praise that you and your team receive? Well, that, that's exactly the point. We love coming to these sorts of events because, uh, quite frankly, these are the, pro- the people producing the product that we're marketing and helping to market around the world. So, uh, you know, our job in a lot of ways is easy compared to their job with all the uncertainty that they face every day. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the general uh, feedback's been very positive, uh, as, as you know. And uh, uh, I think in, in some ways the uh, feedback is how, how, do we, how can we help you do more? And uh, I think that's a really good question because I do think uh, despite all the headwinds, we're going to have headwinds and no matter what, I mean, the, the headwinds might change a bit, but uh, this is nothing new to our industry. Our industry is very resilient, and uh, and I think it, the more resilient we can be, the better off we'll be because there's still a lot of opportunity out there. As for trade opportunities, I, I know in the in the recent uh, figures that have come out from USDA that there has been a little bit of a pullback in imports from some key Asian trading partners. Uh, but what what are what's some of the work uh, that will continue to to try and increase uh, uh, beef exports, in particular, to to some of our uh, friends in Asia? Well, I think that. Um you know, one of the headwinds that we we're facing is the is the logistical congestion, which is still an issue, especially as it relates to chilled cargo. And of course, that's our number one focus: is chilled cargo, uh, never frozen into places like Japan and Korea. So, so you know, trying to um, to ensure an environment where our exporters can ship chilled cargo without worrying about uh, shelf life and things like this is one of our high priorities. Uh, I think the other thing that we're looking at is, um, you know, uh, rebounding on uh, food service. Uh, Food service has been so hamstrung for the last two years. And and as you know, historically, traditionally, food service is our stronghold in Asia. So while the good news is that we've really made strides on retail and online e-commerce and all this, at some point, food service will come back and we'll be there ready for it because that's really our bread and butter. And uh, before we started this uh, podcast recording, uh, you had mentioned that uh, you're going to uh, Japan uh, very soon to to work on export opportunities there. What's that trip going to look like? Maybe walk us through how a trade mission actually starts. It's not just, hey, we're going to go to Japan next week, book your ticket. There's a lot of (laughs) groundwork and logistics and relationship building that goes into every single trip. Yep. You know, I think uh, that's a good point. And in fact, our Japan office, uh, one of the things we're getting ready for is our 45th anniversary, uh, the founding of that office back in 1977. Uh, so that, there's an event that we're setting up for September, uh, which will involve some producers. We don't have a big group going because it's still a bit tricky getting in and out of Japan from a COVID standpoint. But I'm actually leaving this weekend to go over and kind of do a prep for that trip. And uh, it'll be the first time that anyone from MEF in the U.S. has been over to our Japan office since COVID. So, you know, um, it's good to see international travel starting back up, albeit maybe not normal, but still we can do it. And, uh, and business goes on. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of interest from the trade in Japan, Korea, and other markets in Asia that haven't seen a lot of the, haven't seen us, haven't seen a lot of the suppliers. And to what you just said, uh, it's about building relationships, and uh, this is all what goes into it. 
Now, maybe let's just uh, talk about uh, since 1977, having having people boots on the ground. Uh, off the top of your head, could, could we just talk about what beef exports look like in the late 70s from the U.S. <laughs> to Japan and just how having that relationship uh, in that nation, how that has truly yeah. just grown into one of the top markets for U.S. Well, U.S. protein in, right. in general. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a case study, really. I mean, it started off with... Uh, you know, hundreds of pounds, not millions of pounds. And uh, it was about uh, telling our story, getting, you know, of course, the taste attributes. Uh, uh, it started very slow. In fact, uh, uh, it was quite a few years before the beef and Japanese liberalized trade. It used to be under a quota system, a licensing system, and now, and now it's a free trade uh, type of arrangement where market forces determine the growth. So yeah, we've literally gone from zero to 2.3 billion in sales uh, you know, annually uh, in a matter of uh, you know, roughly 45 to 46 years. And uh, so um, yeah, it's a testament to the fact that this stuff does not happen overnight. It takes time. It takes investment, and in a lot of cases, it's more of a time investment than it is a monetary investment. That's usually how it starts, is the time to get to know people, know the trade, et cetera. So, uh, but I, I hope that people see what's happening in a place like Japan, and Korea is another good example, that the investment over time definitely was worth it. Now, uh, also, when, when we're looking at U.S. pork production and exports, we did see a bit of a pullback in that May report. And for, for the last few years, we've really had a focus on African swine fever, especially in China. And then we had COVID-19 occur and uh, really throw off projections and actual exports. What is the situation like for China in terms of their pork production and uh, opportun opportunities or challenges for the U.S. industry? and shipping to uh, a very large uh, uh, a large uh, consumer of uh, pork uh, across the world, that being China. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> the situation in China is really one that's really in a state of flux. Um, they've definitely rebuilt their herds uh, in a massive, there's been a big shift to try to rebuild, and, and they have to, to some extent. Uh, but we still hear about ongoing animal health concerns, uh, not only concerns around ASF, but concerns around PERS and some of the other, uh, you know, animal uh, swine diseases. Um, so it'll be inter interesting to see because uh, with the increased costs in inputs, um, the profitability is in question in China, and uh, they had a huge expansion. And um, so I think it'll be back to the normal cycle of up and down. It just kind of depends on the market. You know, we didn't stop shipping to China. We're still shipping. It's just not as big as it once was. And that's the case for the whole world. Yep. Uh, and at the peak of the imports, uh, the U.S., we, we exported about 30% of our pork to China. Uh, the largest suppliers, the EU, they exported about 65%. So I, I like much better where we're at in terms of a diversification standpoint. Yeah. And so, but I, I think to answer your question, um, you know, we'll probably see some uh, last half of this year, our forecast is that the China exports will pick up a bit uh, from where they were. 
Um, and we're also comparing year on year in the second half of this year to much lower numbers from a year ago. So the numbers will look better, but it'll still be much smaller than it was two years ago at the height of ASF. Now, we do have a few cattle producers here that also raise sheep. Uh, Sky Krebs out of Oregon always comes to mind because his ranch is Krebs Sheep Company, and he's on the NCBA uh, Executive Committee, and we always joke about that. And, and, and Dan, in our last conversation, we discussed how there was actually about, I think, $2.5 million in lamb exports uh, to, to uh, mainly the Caribbean and Mexico. Right. Um, and then in the last week, we've seen the lamb market just totally <laughs> collapse just because uh, there's not a lot of uh, processing capacity. Uh, our lambs are too big, and there's not right. enough lamb plants. But to, to actually see those exports and, and to be able to, to report about that uptick, uh, it, what, what, are your, some, what are some of your thoughts about U.S. lamb in the months and years to come as uh, producers look at diversifying their herds? Yeah, I think, um, I think U.S. lamb has a lot of uh, potential. And, uh, and unfortunately— <laughs> The timing wasn't good, but we were starting to make some real progress in uh, some of the newer countries. Uh, to your point, yes, Mexico and Caribbean is the mainstay, and, and we've seen growth there. But there was a lot of opportunity pre-COVID in places like uh, Taiwan, places like Japan, um, and, and a few others as well. And uh, and, and we were just starting to get some traction. Uh, there was a couple of uh, high-end uh, food service uh, steakhouses that were starting to feature U.S. lamb right when COVID mm -hmm. hit. So, so hit the refresh button. There's still opportunities today, I think. So, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things we're looking at is, is making some investments uh, to try to diversify into some of these higher-end food service markets, which, of course, is the bread and butter for, for U.S. lamb. And, uh, and, and so I'd say uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that, uh, that that's a real opportunity. Well, and, as I'm, and, and I know you're, we're not talking markets or, or anything like that. Uh, specifically with this, we're talking about uh, exports. But it, it, it was troubling sitting at the livestock market there, 18,000 head of, of lambs on the video sale. And, and it was just uh, that market just uh, fell apart just because of processing capacity. And we saw that during the height of the pandemic, not only for lamb, but for beef. And, and it does show our resiliency once we can yeah. make our way through that supply. Uh, and I know we got to get going here to the general session at the, the summer meeting, but Dan, uh, what, what are some other key things that you would just like uh, the, the pork, the, the beef, and the lamb guys out in the countryside to know about just uh, the work that you all do and, and what we're looking at here at the end of 2022 and looking at the next uh, uh, year or a few years ahead? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, th I think a couple of things. Number one is, uh, as I said this a lot, the, the key to USMEF is really, uh, as much as we'd like to think it's in Denver, it's not. The key is international offices, the boots on the ground each and every day, marketing U.S. beef, pork, and lamb. And, uh, and literally, that's what they're doing every day. And uh, I think that uh, the other key point that we're focused on is uh, these larger markets are important. Japan, Korea, Mexico, China. Uh, you're talking about $2 billion markets on beef uh, on three of those four. But the ability to diversify and, and start to invest and get more aggressive in the newer parts of the world, Central America comes to mind, Vietnam, Philippines, and Southeast Asia, uh, Africa comes to mind. This is something that we're, we're making a real conscious effort to spend some more money there, but it's more about the time to try to build these relationships from the ground up, kind of like where Japan was 
35 to 40 years ago. And uh, so that, that's the dollars at work uh, because sometimes you don't see the results right away. But we were saying the same thing about Japan, you know, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, look at where they are today at $2.3 billion a year. So, so that, that would be one of my final thoughts is we're constantly trying to develop new markets. Well, again, there's a lot of work on the ground that uh, that goes into getting these products to consumers around the world, and and they they just enjoy knowing they're eating high quality U.S. beef, pork, or lamb, and uh, it's a great story, especially when they can learn more about the producers on the ground where it comes from. And so many of these producers do want to know where that beef's coming, beef, pork, and lamb's coming f- Exa- from as well. Exactly right. Yep. Well, uh, Dan, I know I know we got a busy day ahead of us here in Reno, but I just want to thank you for taking time. And for our listeners and viewers, make sure and visit the USMEF online and follow their social media pages. And again, we always uh, enjoy uh, having them on and sharing uh, all the analytics that they produce uh, from USDA reports and the work that they do in the countryside. So Dan Halstrom, thank you for joining us here today. My pleasure. Thank you. With that, friends, thanks for joining us on the Langcast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.